I'm Phil Rickaby, and I've been a writer and performer for almost 30 years. But I've realized that I don't really know as much as I should about the theater scene outside of my particular Toronto bubble. Now, I'm on a quest to learn as much as I can about the theater scene across Canada. So join me as I talk with mainstream theater creators you may have heard of, and indie artists you really should know, as we find out just what it takes to be stage-worthy. If you value the work that I do on Stageworthy, please consider leaving a donation either as a one-time thing or on a recurring monthly basis. Stageworthy is created entirely by me, and I give it to you free of charge with no advertising or other sponsored messages. Your continuing support helps me to cover the cost of producing and distributing the show. Just four people donating $5 a month would help me cover the cost of podcast hosting alone. Help me continue to bring you this podcast. You can find a link to donate in the show notes, which you can find in your podcast app or at the website at stageworthy.ca. Now, on to the show. Matthew McKenzie is the playwright behind the award-winning and critically acclaimed Bears. He joined me to talk about First Métis Man of Odessa, which he wrote with his wife, award-winning Ukrainian actress, Maria Homotova. The play follows their COVID courtship and the impacts of the war in Ukraine. First Métis Man of Odessa runs March 30th to April 8th at Toronto's Theatre Centre and then moves to Edmonton's Citadel Theatre and then finally Vancouver's The Couch. Here's our conversation. So, Matthew, thanks for joining me. Um, would you give me your pitch for, uh, or tell me about the first Métis Man of Odessa. Yeah, first Métis Man of Odessa is a show that I've uh, co-written with my uh, wife, Maria Homatova, and we uh, also perform in the piece, and it's a true story about our, um, our meeting, our um, falling in love, and uh, then our... Uh, learning that uh, we were pregnant with Masha in Ukraine and me in Canada. Uh, then I had to sneak into Ukraine where we were married and then we came to Canada uh, where we had our son. And then uh, following that, we were just about to return to Ukraine to introduce our son to his grandparents and Russia invaded Ukraine. So it's uh, it's a love story, but it, it, it talks about uh, COVID, but also the, the personal effect that the the war in Ukraine have had on mm. on so many and, and on us as a as a as a couple. Yeah. The long pitch. Um, <laughs> no, I mean no, that's a good pitch. It the one of the things that I, it, it, you know, it, the arts bring people together in in so many fascinating ways. Um, how is it that you and Maria uh, encountered each other? Well, I was working with uh, uh, uh Alberta playwright Liana McCook, who is uh, an awesome player colleague of mine and uh she also was the director of our show and we were in ukraine workshopping a piece of hers called um barina and masha was hired as a as a ukrainian actor who could also speak english uh, there weren't a ten of them then um and so we met through that we established a friendship 
corresponded for a year and then Masha ended up uh, coming to visit Toronto and that's where kind of things sparked. So how long, I mean, was this, this was a long distance relationship. Did she go back to Ukraine after that? And you were sort of here? Did you go back and forth? What was that? What was that? What was the courtship like? Well, it was a pretty tight, tight timeline, um, which we, yeah, we talk about in the show. Um, we, I'd been in that initial trip where we weren't together. Then she came to Toronto and that's where we got together. And then I, returned to work on another project with Leanna uh, on a play called Alina and on that trip I was able to go with Masha we were together to meet her parents in Odessa and then when we parted ways two days after that the international travel ban went into effect and COVID swept the globe so we never actually intended it even though it sounds strange we were living in different countries we never intended to have a long distance relationship and we planned to sort of be in each other's countries um, but uh, we ended up being apart for um, the better part of four months uh, before I was able to um, get back into Ukraine and get married and, and then for us to return to Canada to, to have our son. Um, that, I mean, that sounds like, like drama in itself. <laughs> yes. Um, and then you have the situation of... of uh, 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 trying to to wanted to go and 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 take your baby to meet the grandparents mm-hmm. and 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 Russia invades Ukraine. Yes, um, and that's that's it. That that's got to be hard both for for you. You know, you want to visit the the grandparents, but also for Maria, who's whose whose family is in Ukraine. Yes, yes, it uh, it was a real shock. You know, I think. Like a lot of Ukrainians, uh, my 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 Masha, who is Maria, just a diminutive of Masha, um, of Maria, sorry, um, and my like mother-in-law Olga were convinced that the that that Russia would not invade. So it was a real shock when that happened, and they were felt, and um, like everyone, a deep sense of shock and and an incredible sense of betrayal, and then horror at what. And, but the yeah, what the Russians were perpetrating on the Ukrainians, and so it took us a little bit of time to kind of talk my mother-in-law into getting out of Odessa, and um, but we managed to to talk her into it. And um, just uh, a couple weeks ago, I guess on March sixth was the one-year anniversary of the time where we were able to get Olga out of Odessa, and she's been living with us ever since. And and her and my son are inseparable, so. I mean that's that's got to be hard. First off, I've, it's not the first time I've heard of, of people desperately trying to convince their Ukrainian relatives that maybe to 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 get out of of Ukraine. Yeah, a real sense dream. of yeah of like people who are like, this is my country. I'm going to stay here. Yes, and uh, uh, even even to the well, the rest of the family is like, maybe come here for a little while. Yeah. Um, that must have been a dramatic. Like, how do you how do you first off. How do you get somebody out of Ukraine when there's a war going on? Well, Odessa has obviously been deeply affected by the war, but it hasn't been hit like uh, other cities like, you know, uh, Kherson or or Mariupol, obviously, which has been like destroyed. And so Olga was able to get out with with a friend of Maria's who was leaving with her kids. So they drove out, they, you know, to the Moldovan border. 
And then once they were in Moldova, they were, they were safe. But then, um, so another friend of Masha's took Olga in in Chisinau, which is the capital of Moldova. And then she made her way to Bucharest where all the hotels were full, like Ukrainians, like packing every, every nook and cranny. So there was just dozens of Ukrainians sleeping on, uh, yoga mats on the airport floor there waiting to, to move on to other countries. And so, uh, so we were very lucky that, that, you know, we had Masha's friends, a whole network who, uh, who helped Olga along the way. And then Olga had actually visited Toronto the summer before. And so she had a visitor visa. She, she didn't have to go through any process that a lot of folks did. Although I think that process also for a lot of folks was, was very, um, you know, credit to the government and it was just dealt with very quickly. And, mm. and, uh, and so she was able to get out once we got her out of Ukraine and it was, was pretty straightforward. Now this whole thing is, you know, it's a, it's a dramatic story, um, just in itself, but at what point did you and, 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 and Masha think this could make a play? Well, you know, we'd actually, with lots of input from Masha, I wrote a radio play. Uh, or audio play for Factory Cedar that Nina Leakino directed. Um, and that was pre-invasion. So that was sort of our, our COVID romance and getting to Canada and having our son. And that's sort of where the first half of this play ends. And then of course, um, and the invasion hits and that's a whole other, a whole other level. So we were already in the process of, of, of uh, dramatizing it, if you will. Um, but, uh, but this definitely changed the, the tone of the piece, um, as you can imagine. And, uh, but we, we still really wanted to keep that, that magic that we found with Nina, um, that it's just sort of this, um, yeah, this improbable love story full of a lot of laughs, a lot of stress. <laughs> um, but you know, even with the war, um, we want to leave people, uh, with a lot of hope. And, uh, and so far we've had four audiences so far in Kamloops, really, really warm reception, incredible. Lots of Ukrainians, Ukrainian Canadians and, and Ukrainian Ukrainians who've actually fled the conflict and, and the response so far is, uh, is incredibly, incredibly warm. So, um, and people don't feel like they've been pounded over the head with a depressing, you know, uh, war story. Like they, they're, they're staying after and, 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 and full of energy and wanting to talk about their experiences to getting out of Ukraine or Ukrainians that they know. Yeah. In terms of the, the original before the war, um, and, and, uh, the, the, uh, adding in the, the start, the war as part of the story, um, how does, how does the structure change? How does the play change? Or is it just like, we're do we tell the story and then the war happens? Like the like good question. Does, I was worried about that. I was like, do we have a romantic comedy and then it turns into a tragedy? Like that feels like a bit of a setup to the audience. Yeah. But the thing that we kind of discovered from our own live and that works, I think pretty well, uh, dramatically is that my mother-in-law coming and living with us for a year has, has been amazing, but it's definitely been full of challenges. Many of them kind of darkly comedic. And so kind of my, uh, relationship with my mother-in-law on the home front, uh, in some ways I feel kind of counterweights the, the stories that we're hearing about Masha's, uh, friends and family in Ukraine. Um, cause she's had, you know, friends go through remarkable things already. They could be their own movies easily. Um, and so that, that, yeah, my mother-in-law Olga kind of provides the antidote to, 
to Putin in our play. It, definitely necessary. Definitely necessary. <laughs> now, you are a citizen of the Métis Nation of Alberta. Yes. Um, one of the other things that the prairies have is a large population of Ukrainians. Yes. So um, as far as like, like, like coming at this as both uh, a, a citizen of the Métis Nation and coming from a place with such a, a, a large population of Ukrainians, how does that inform this play? Well, it's really exciting. The first public read we did of this was in a little town called Smoky Lake, about an hour and a half from Edmonton. And I think most of the audience was Ukrainian, Canadian, Indigenous, or Ukrainian, Indigenous. We're meeting quite a few people who are who are Ukrainian and Métis, uh, which is which is thrilling, because um, of course that's my son and uh, also my nephew. Uh, is uh, he 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 self defines himself as Ukrainian, um, but uh, but it, yeah, it's it's very very it's very cool. I mean, I didn't I I knew there were folks out there, but I didn't realize they would all be coming like they are like here in Kamloops too um and it, it, it means an enormous amount obviously we want this we want to show the personal side of the of what's going on over there and tell our love story to everyone but to like you know um Ukrainian Canadians and and indigenous folks here um it, it's it's wonderful to to feel that support and there's a long long history of um you know Ukrainians and indigenous people especially in the in the in the prairie provinces um and so you know um it, it it feels like a a story that people can come together on and 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 experience together um and it doesn't feel like it's you're just about ukraine or or you know it was really interesting to feel how much people were responding to the names of places that i because i described at in a in a poem that's in the play masha coming during COVID. Um, and following the rivers that my, 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 um, people would have been paddling back in the day and using the Cree, Cree names for these rivers and stuff. And their sponsor people in Smoky Lake and here in Kamloops is just really wonderful. Like they're really, really interested to hear about Ukraine, but they also love to hear about where they're from in their own culture. Yeah. Absolutely. People like to see themselves reflected in what's on the stage. Oh yeah. Generally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the other, the things that I think is you know, especially in the prairies with such a, we have, Canada has a lot of Ukrainians in it. You know, we have, we're a melting pot. We're, we're a cultural mosaic melting pot for, uh, from all over the world. Um, but we have large concentrations, especially in the prairies of Ukrainians, many of whom their journey to the prairies was begun with uh, the Holdemor, the, the, yes. the, the, the self, the self-imposed famine yeah. in Ukraine. So this is, this whole story of of like the, the war in Ukraine has got to resonate really heavily with 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 people who whose roots go back to uh, Russian aggression for one. Oh yes, yeah. I mean, our director, her play Barvina, is all about her grandmother fleeing the the Soviets and the Nazis and kind of caught between them and them coming and making a life in Canada. But they lived through Holdemore, and she and her her grandmother lost uh, and a little brother, and so um so that you know it's very interesting. I'm not Ukrainian, but having been a part of two projects dramaturgically, and now obviously married to Ukrainian, just really learning the the sort of history of um of the of the many crimes that have been perpetrated against uh, against Ukraine, and you can see 
you can see why they're fighting so hard not to fall under that Russian boot again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things I'm curious about is this is this is a I mean this story that you're telling is a sweeping story that also sounds a little like a rom com. <laughs> um, so what what could an audience expect seeing this? What does what does the staging look like? How does what what does an audience see when they're seeing this play? Well, we're two theater artists telling a true story, and it's it's awesome that our designer uh, Daniela has um, has created sort of a very similar to the Odessa Opera Theater, and yeah, this incredible building people have maybe seen pictures of. Um, it's like I think it's an exact replica of the Vienna Opera House too, the most ornate building I've ever been in. But uh, anyhow, so we're sort of like on the on the stage of our lives, and uh, and it's. It's animated with incredible sound. Uh, we have a composing team from Ukraine, but many of them are living all over Europe right now as refugees. But they put together this amazing composition. And then we have a sound designer, Aaron Macri, who's very gifted. And she's brought the composition together and then added so much of his own magic. And then we have uh, an amazing uh, projection designer, Amelia, who really helps us sort of jump from country to country, world to world, and in and out of our heads. And, uh, and so it's, it's, you know, it, it's very magical. I mean, I'm in it and then I get pictures of it. I'm like, wow, that, that's quite, um, quite beautiful. So I think that, um, Leanna really wanted to, she sees this, yes, there are terrible things that occur, but she sees this as a sweeping love story and, uh, and, and really leaned into that to, to successful effect, I think. And so it, so I think it's a real, it's yeah it's really visually it's not just two people sitting in chairs telling their story it's 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 really <laughs> visually um uh very rich now you wrote this with your wife with with mm-hmm. maria um as far as sometimes it's 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 hard it's hard enough to write something on your own it's another thing to like write something with somebody <laughs> as a writer myself i'm always curious about the writing process and so for you and Masha, what, what's the writing process like to put this thing out on paper? How does, how, how is it working with, uh, uh, your wife on a, on a, a, a creative project like this? Yeah. I mean, it's funny in Canada cause so many of us wear different hats. Um, but in, and I know that when I first conversations with Masha, the idea of her writing something or like self producing something was like abhorrent. She's like, no, I'm an actor. Like that is what I do, um, and so it it took some convincing. And we talk about it in the play because it's not only that she's writing; it's that she comes from um, a practice where there's not a lot of like contemporary work, uh, contemporary Ukrainian work. And then on top of that, uh, it's not; it's very rarely based on a true story. So she sort of, you know, was sort of questioning whether this was art at all. And I'm saying, well, there, there, there are examples of, um, of many shows in Canada where this is, this has been achieved. And, uh, we were really fortunate to go and see, um, uh, my ex-boyfriend yard sale, um, at Haley and, and, and Mitchell's piece there at Soul Pepper. And I think that, that it was pretty late in the game, but that actually finally convinced Masha that <laughs> Uh, what we were working on had the was was had the potential to be art, um, but I think that as we were writing on it, we we assume because of like you say how many Ukrainians there are, 
you know, there's a lot of Ukrainian Canadian artists. We assumed like after the invasion that there would be just like a, a crush of plays about this. And then, and then there's just been so little and it's been, it's sort of shocking um, how little there's been. And so I think that became a real engine for us. We're like, we don't want people to only be experiencing this war through the the news and the horror of the the stats coming in about the body count. We want people to know about the the human side of things, and that became a major motivation. So, you know, Masha in the play even states she's like, "I don't care if this is art or not. Um, my 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 story has value. The stories of my friends and family have value, and these aren't the sorts of stories that are are making it onto the the news clips." Do you have a theory as to why we're not seeing this on stages and in the arts right now? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I'm from Edmonton, but I live in Toronto, and um, and and it seems especially um, pronounced in Toronto, and and I'm not entirely sure of that. I mean, Andrew Kushner made a really, really thoughtful, very generous article about how we're not only not seeing really any Ukrainian stories or Ukrainian facing stories presented we're also seeing a, a real surge in, in russian work presented and he doesn't call for a boycott of russian work nor does my nor does my wife and but the the, the disparity or i don't even know if you can call it a disparity the the total lack thereof of ukrainian work in a place like toronto where like you know um me too hit and there was like you know 400 plays being written about me too in an instant so like it's a, an incredible community to respond to the here and now and so i'm not entirely sure it's it's it, I, I hope it changes um i hope that uh and not you know not just because there's a ton of ukrainians in um in toronto and but uh it just feels uh it, it feels really i i can't explain it it's strange it's just strange and conversations about you know with folks who've been who are ukrainian canadian they're like is this just something we care about and other people don't like is it this sort of whataboutism like well there's there's many terrible things happening in the world so why would we focus on ukraine um but the scale of what's happening in ukraine um and the fact that it's still happening and probably ramping up um is that is the thing that makes me really just yeah wonder why i think i think Generally, the questions about uh, what does find its way to our stages and and why I think I think that's something that that is a mystery. It's a mystery to mo- to a lot of people. Like why why this and not that? Why yeah. why are we telling why are we telling these Russian stories and not the Ukrainian the Ukrainian stories? It's a, it's 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 one of those mystery zeitgeist zeitgeist things. Maybe I yeah. don't even know. It's strange. Like I think that some of the instances was stuff that was programmed before COVID. Um, and so, like, you know, commitments have been made to artists and stuff, but in 50 years, and an academic looks at, like, stuff that was being programmed in the year after Ukraine invaded, and we have the second largest Ukrainian diaspora population outside Russia, I think it would be pretty hard for them to say, it, it, it kind of looks like the Toronto theater community is sort of like, um, well, not the whole community, but the all this Russian work that it's... Um, it it's it, a touch tone deaf. So, is it is it that 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 people who are not Ukrainian just don't know Ukrainian work? 
Chekhov, for example, gets done quite frequently. There are yeah. all kinds of Russian yeah, actors no. who were who, who were known, and so they tend to be programmed because they're a name that people know, and then maybe people don't know the Ukrainian author. Yeah, well, and Chekhov was born in you in what is now Ukraine, and you know, so was Bugakov and stuff. But then these 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 playwrights are these composers or whomever gets so closely associated with uh, Russian Russian kind of cultural imperialism. But the thing for me that resonates as a as a as a Canadian artist, as a as a Métis artist, is like you hear those same arguments for why we don't have Canadian work, um, and you know, well, yeah, but we have the classics from England, and we have like our our friendly um, neighbors to the south who, you know, have a, a much deeper um, cultural canon, and so I guess you could argue that that's also why you should never do Canadian work, and. But, yeah. But well, it, I mean, also, I I do think that sometimes when we program Canadian work, first off, we do it because because we have to, and also, um, we do it and then we discard it. Everybody yeah. wants the world premiere, so we do a Canadian play and then we toss it away and we never we never remount it. It's never seen again. There are a few plays that are, but it's pretty rare because we don't really. I don't think we put a lot of value on the plays. We just need to get them done. Yeah. They run for a short time and then we toss them away. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely don't. They don't get the uh, the resources or the time to develop that they might need. I mean, we're very fortunate with this tour, and so far as we got multiple kicks at the can. And obviously, this is a story we're still living. So I'm not under any illusions that it was like perfectly distilled dramatic work. But I think that's part of its charm. Part of its charm maybe is also that I'm not an actor at performing. So when I when I flub a line or do something you know, bizarre, like look directly at the booth or something. And um, people just find that amusing. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, um, I'm not for, I'm not really generally a, a boycotter. Um, but just in terms of how much new work gets developed in Toronto and how many remarkable ADs there are, um, uh, right now, you know, um, it, it 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 is it is baffling and um, that that mm. that no one has produced uh, a ukrainian facing work and i mean mm. you've got you know someone like andy kushner is a very successful mm. canadian playwright like it would i don't want to say it's a no-brainer but like you wouldn't have to look yeah. at take that it wouldn't be that hard and um, so anyhow hopefully that will change next year um with with seasons coming out but um but it is it is peculiar. It really is, and we'll have to we'll have to see what happens. Um, now, one of the things that um, I'm curious about, and one of the things that I love to talk to people about, is um, the thing that draws them to the theater, mm. um, or dr- initially drew them to the theater, whether as a performer, as a writer, whatever it is. For yourself, for you, what what made you want to start like working in theater, writing for theater? How did that journey start for you? And, well, I started acting as a kid, and I loved theater, but I didn't love being on stage, so half-half that I'm in the show now. But uh, I think that I find writing is, is a way that I can kind of, like, um, make sense of stuff in my heart and my mind and, and the world around me. I, I don't necessarily come up with answers, but it helps me undo knots a bit and so that it's just more palatable. And um, things just, yeah, are, uh, I can see more clearly. 
Um, so that's a that's a huge part of what I write. I feel like I kind of need to. Um, and uh, and yeah, the power, the power I feel of, of theater right now. Um, for what we're doing is that I do believe that we can speak, even if it's in an imperfect way. Um, but to to the to the personal in a way that I don't think uh, media can right now, or it, it's challenged you right now in a way that a documentary wouldn't do. Um, that this living, breathing people in front of you who have just experienced this and are experiencing this will have an effect on people that um, that other mediums would not. And it's not to take anything away from the other mediums, but uh, it's just a, it's a, a special magic of theater. Yeah. You mentioned loving theater, uh, but, you know, not being comfortable on the stage. I want to get to that <laughs> in a second. Um, but uh, what was it? What were your early experiences with theater? What was what was it that made you love it? I was very lucky. I got randomly cast in uh, Christmas Carol when I was eleven. Uh, uh, I think I looked really sickly, so they cast me as Tiny Tim. Um, and uh, I was in the show with uh, a, a, an amazing actor, Walter Kaza, who is a famous uh, actor and and speech therapist in Edmonton, and uh, and he was incredible. Um, and he's since passed, but like that, that was just like, you know, to see that, that power to see, to see that, um, that magic every day when I was like 11, that, that kind of hooked me. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then, yeah, I was very fortunate to be in shows where I was chorus or, you know, not doing a heck of a lot. So I was always able to watch. I was often sit backstage and just watch the same thing again and again and again, and to see what what people responded to and what they didn't respond to and why they didn't respond to it and why they did. Um, and just, uh, yeah, just feeling that. Yeah. Just kind of marinating in that, in that magic. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, I, I, I guess from the time I was around 16, I was pretty keen on being a playwright. I started a playwriting class of one at my arts high school and they were lovely that they let me do that. Um, but then coming out of high school, I was told that, you know, you, you need to be an actor and then and then fail at that. And then you can be a playwright. Um, <laughs> uh, and I was like, well, I, I feel like I have failed at that. So maybe I'll skip that. And then there was another wonderful person in Edmonton who since passed just this last year uh, or not this year, this year, uh, Tom Peacock, uh, who was a contemporary Walter Kaiser. They were they were uh, buddies um, and he said he forgot giving me this advice but he said okay well if you're not going to study acting there's vir virtually no playwriting programs um so you need to get as far away from theater as you can and and we get some life experience and then and then you know keep writing but like that will be your your thing <laughs> so i started up a house painting company and that lasted a lot longer than i ever thought it would um uh so that kind of but that ended up supporting the the playwriting and the art making in a way that i probably couldn't have and with another kind of less flexible job. Um, so, so yeah, I was kind of play running from an early, er, early time for me. Um, and, and, uh, in, in Edmonton, you know, there's a, there's a lot of playwrights. Um, and, and it, and it seemed, even though it, it seems strange to just want to be a playwright, it seemed a reasonable thing in the Edmonton context. Maybe it does to, to young Torontonians too, because they can see other people who are, who are that and just that, you know? Um, one of the things that I'm sort of like hearing from your story is you were acting as a kid. Yeah. 
At what point did you realize that you did not enjoy it? At what point was it like, this is not, I don't want to do this. I would rather do something else. That's a good question. I think when my voice changed and I had a an audition and I had this like beautiful soprano voice and I had this audition and I can remember the, the auditioners looking at me like I wasn't even human. And, and that made me very, I didn't get that part. And then that sort of triggered some insecurities and then, and then I started to really think like, what do I actually like about this? And I'm like, oh, I like the medium. I like the people. I like that person acting, but I myself, I don't, I don't particularly like the scrutiny. Um, and and it's funny talking to actors because it's sort of like it's un, unthinkable, you know, <laughs> that you wouldn't want to go in front of a, a crowd and 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 seize that crowd. But I think um, non-theater people can relate to that a little bit more. <laughs> that that bit a little terrifying. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, um, as somebody who, you know, just figured out, you know, early in their life that they didn't want to be on stage, they didn't want to be an actor. Um, uh, how hard was it to convince yourself to be an actor in, in this play? Oh, it's been a process. I definitely tried to uh, talk myself or figure out how to get out of it on a number of occasions. Hey, I have a buddy, Sheldon Elter, who's been in a couple shows of mine, and at one point I'm like, hey, what do you think about playing me? And he read the play, and he's like, I really think you should play you, brother. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so, yeah, so it's been, I mean, I've been incredibly fortunate to have Masha as an incredibly, incredibly patient, um, you know, person to create the play with, but also to be on stage with. She's so supportive. And then our actor, Liana, knows me very well personally and then um has been also uh incredibly patient and um, and then our team like my producer Shaney Satino we sort of we sort of created a plan uh that it wasn't just like two seasoned actors getting into the room and bang putting up a play that we needed more time so we had like a five-week kind of part-time rehearsal period which allowed me to kind of like do it more and it also allowed us to spend more time with our son so we were fortunate to, to be able to develop in, in that way. I, if we had done it in two weeks, I think I would have had a nervous breakdown. So. I mean, that is that kind of uh, rehearsal period is a bit of a luxury. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something we don't get very often, especially yeah. in Canada. We don't mm -hmm. do a lot of workshops and we don't rehearse for long periods of time. So um, how did you demand or, or, or manage to carve out that, that space to take the time? Well, I mean... Uh, you know, I've, I, I guess I should, I can't just be questioning why no one programming Ukrainian work when a number of companies have programmed our show. Like we have a six city tour here this, this year across the country. And, and those, those theaters knowing enough about our story, having heard the radio play and knowing enough about uh, me as a playwright, they, they, they took a gamble still to program something that was not written. Um, that we were still very much living and that that buy-in allowed us to um, well have guaranteed fees but then also uh, pursue funding that allowed us to to build the, the, the plan and I think that um, I run I run punctuate theater and having you know having a playwright run theater makes it so yes the <laughs> the 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 plans are very much catered to the to the playwrights usually. <laughs> In terms of 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 of, of you know, having that time, and certainly as you as you describe it, necessary for you to have that time 
to be able to, you know, become the performer that you need to be for this show. Um, what's, uh, what was the learnings that, that you had about this show when you took that kind of that time, when you had that, that kind of time to marinate, to sit in it, to, to really live it, experience it? Um, did you learn anything particular about the show in that time? Or was it just, was it just like, I'm just trying to become a performer here? Um, I think initially the whole um, idea of it being a sweeping love story on a producing level, I bought into like on a marketing level. <laughs> um, but then really being in the show and, and, and the moments that Rosh and I have throughout the show and how we begin it and how we end it. I'm like, oh no, this is definitely a love story. It was just hard to get objectivity when I'm in it. And and so that was that's been the biggest learning that my uh, director Liana has has helped me kind of uh, discover. And then the audiences that we've had have really reinforced. You can just feel them uh, rooting for us um, in this in this wonderful way. And so uh, so they feel like very much like our dance partners as we make our way through these hoops after hoops after flaming hoops. Yeah. Now your play, uh, the Bears is an award-winning play. Um, it's won a Toronto Creat uh, Theatre Critics Award, a Dora Award. Um, so it uh, it's a well-decorated, well do we decorate? Anyway, it's a well-decorated like uh, uh, like play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just like suddenly we're like, yeah, we, I mean, why not? Um, in terms of, of creating that play, it sounds like like just it's a, it's a very different play from this one. Um, as far as as far as like comparing the two, um, aside from topic and 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 uh, and, and 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 subject matter, um, what? How are they different? I mean, obviously they're different stories, but how are they similar? What do they say about you as a writer? These two plays. Well, I'd say the thing that makes them similar, separate for me, is that that they both have incredible uh, creative teams, uh, mostly of folks from Edmonton. I've been so fortunate to work with so that that's the main through line for me I think on like a on a story level they definitely they definitely function very differently and I think there's uh there's mention of chickadees in both bears and uh, <laughs> the first matey man of Odessa it's the only thing that's mentioned in every one of my plays yes apparently um and uh yeah I think that there's that balance between talking about some really dark stuff but always you know never being too far from a joke or or from something that's hopeful um i don't like going to the theater and walking out totally depressed into the night and i i i, I don't think that life is life can be full of horror and tragedy and but i think that stories that don't have humor or don't show the light side sometimes and actually aren't aren't very realistic because i think life is full of were in weird shit all the time and so i think that, that that similarity exists but i do think that the fact that this is our story and then we're both in it the vulnerability factor is like through the freaking roof compared to bears like i was working with a sheldon elter on bears and a, and a, a group of like remarkable dancers and i'm up there you know half days and i'm like how the hell did that bears team make this look like so easy and they're dancing the whole time and i'm like go home and i right. collapse yeah yeah it's the yeah for sure 
Um, in terms, like you mentioned, uh, this you know the, the the play bears is you know uh, when you are are looking or thinking about your work, are there particular themes that you gravitate to? Um, I mean, obviously, you mentioned like the you know the, got the tragedy tragedy. You're never too far from a laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but are there other themes that 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 are are what you gravitate to? I think I, I think I get caught up on the idea of like what are the things we can control, what are the things we can't control, and what's sort of like the the drama or the fun in between and those things and like you know it's weird because it happened in our real lives but i like to kind of put characters into sort of these sort of uh, um really tricky quandaries and to see how they navigate things and try to be as as authentic as i think i can be um in their in their heads how they would navigate these circumstances like bears we were it's about the um the the Trans Mountain Pipeline mm-hmm. level, but we didn't want to dam all the oil oil workers in Alberta because we friends and family with all these people, and so the character is is himself an oil worker, and so it's a for me it's a more complicated and, and more interesting journey mm-hmm. as he works to kind of um, unpack his mm-hmm. his role in things, the stuff that he can control and the stuff that he can't control, and and uh, and I think in First Mate Men of Odessa, there's things. There are things that we can control, and then there's things like COVID and the war that we can't. And suddenly, we're we're dealing with those massive sort of almost like video game esque challenges suddenly thrown into things. Um, and uh, I think that 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 where for me the the real investigation lives, and the real the real fun is in the challenge. Now, now Masha's not here. I'm yeah. thinking about you know she's come to Canada. Um, during COVID, mm-hmm. um, so her, I, I, she came once before COVID, yeah, and then and then moved here during COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside from that, um, and aside from the idea of uh, a documentary play being art, um, what are the? And speaking for her, of course, what are some of the culture shocks that that she's experienced coming? Uh, from Ukraine to Canada. Well, I mean, I can speak to the stuff she she wrote about in the show, so I'm not totally speaking for her. But um, you know, we were told that when we arrived, her, my healthcare would cover her for the birth. That's a big reason why we came to Canada to have the baby. And then we got here, and because of COVID, they didn't. They suddenly told us they didn't know a lot how long it would take to process her application. So we were we learned that because she was Ukrainian and uh, the birth. As soon as he's my son was born, he would be Canadian. But everything leading up to that would be something we would have to pay for if she didn't get health care. So that really shocked her, shocked me too. But it really made her feel like, uh, as she says in the play, a zero. Um, and and I think it really she had just a couple months after arriving, she won this huge like Odessa Film Festival award, just like the Ukrainian Academy Award. She won one. And then here, you know, she's she's sort of been she put out feelers to some ads and some agents, and it's just like crickets. And she's she I don't think she understood probably like unfortunately a lot of newcomers 
um, are faced with is that you have to start completely over. And whatever your status or your expertise from where you're from, it's like, well, you know, you have to kind of prove everything all over again. Um, and it's pretty cool that she can speak about that critically about Canada um, in the play. Um, but uh, but I think other things that she's observed is like with the war, she says, and we had to cut this part, but she had this hilarious bit about how Canadians perpetually, like random people will perpetually be giving her these sort of small talk pep talks. Like, oh, it's really terrible what, what's happening in Ukraine, but everything's going to work out. You know, it's going to be okay. Like, she's like, why did, why did Canadians say that? I never really thought about it. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it's like, like tied to our need to apologize. Like we have to like hope that our interaction with someone will make them feel kind of good. Even if it's like yeah. what we're saying is total nonsense. And so that's been a really amusing observation. Sure. Did you hear about the time when they tried to come up with the equivalent of American as apple pie, but for Canada? And what they came up with was as Canadian as possible under the circumstances. And it's sort of like, like that sort of thing, where it's just like, we have to say something, we have to say something, so let's be positive. We're yeah, yeah. positive. This is what we do. We're positive. <laughs> yeah. And that's funny, because I see it as just like, kind of like a harmless quirk, culturally, but she interpreted yeah. it as like, basically like false empathy. She thought it was really kind of disturbing. And so... Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's not Ukrainian, but it's Russian. But I remember hearing the story of, of uh, when the McDonald's first opened in Moscow. And McDonald's had that culture of like, everybody has to smile, which was foreign, yeah. foreign to the Russian people. Yeah. And I don't know how much that, that carries over to, to, to the Ukrainian. Oh, very much. But, but like, <laughs> it, yeah. you don't trust somebody who's smiling for no reason yeah. in that culture. And no. so people would walk into McDonald's, they'd be like, hi there. And it would just be this like, why, why are you smiling? Yeah, like, so it's like, we're kind of doing the same thing is like. We're we're always smiling. We're putting our spin on it. Oh, we're yeah. trying to be positive. And we, yeah, uh, however, so that might be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually had a, an exchange with Masha. This is before we were ever dating. When we were just in that workshop, and I I was saying we take the subway in Kiev every day to the workshop, and I said like, I know I look a little different, and like, but I dress like everyone else. But everyone's just staring at me. They all know I'm a foreigner. Like, what is it? I'm doing that is like a, a fluorescent light and Masha's like it's because you smile <laughs> I was talking with someone this is like the second time in like seven days that I've heard a similar thing to what you were describing for Masha but in the case of the other person that this happened to they were born in Canada they studied in Canada they went away to UK mm. and they studied in the UK and they worked for several years and got a whole bunch of credits under their under their belt and figured that those might count for something when they got back to Canada. As a Canadian, yeah, but no, yeah. But it didn't, it didn't. So yeah. it's not just it's not just people who come here from away. It's, it's if you were from here and you do something somewhere else and you come back, unless you're like the lead in a famous play right. that everybody's heard of, then it's a yeah. big deal if yeah. you can be a, the big success. But if you were just a working actor or theater person, and you come back here, it doesn't matter once you're here. What matters is what you do and who you know when you're here. And then, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I've definitely heard of that too. And uh, I don't know why that is. But, uh, but I mean, even even within Canada, the kind of different communities. And I mean, it doesn't seem like it's as bad in Edmonton, but if you were perceived to be like selling out and 
and moving to Toronto or spending too much time in Toronto, that was a big no-no. But I don't, I don't hear a lot. I, people constantly asking, where are you based? Where are you based? And, mm. and I don't, I don't feel that as much anymore. And I feel like, like we have this, this, I mean, our, our, our theater world in Canada is so siloed just by virtue of how much space there is between, yeah. between cities. Mm-hmm. And we often don't get to see what, what, what's happening in each city. Um, the only time I've ever really been able to experience what happens in one city or another is on a fringe tour. And that's yeah, a great totally. way to do that, but you don't really get to experience much of it. So, um, I wish there were ways that we could, we could, you know, more easily, uh, 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 experience each other's work. Yeah. Uh, and in, from the cities, maybe we wouldn't have that idea of, oh, you're selling out, you're going to Toronto sort of thing. Um, if if we could share the work a little better, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's funny how the funding has worked because it seems like there's a lot more ads and and folks going to different countries and seeing work than there is ad movement within Canada, and um, to see work with you know in other in other communities, which is you know maybe I don't know if it's always been like that, but it's uh, being an artist who kind of straddles two different communities and tours a lot. It does seem like. Um, sometimes a missed opportunity for some folks. That's a whole essay. That's a whole essay about how <laughs> we don't value our own work in Canada. So we would rather get a grant to travel outside of Canada to experience that work than somebody from Toronto would be to go to Edmonton to see what what's interesting that's happening there just because we devalue the work that we do in the theater here. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's interesting. I'm more like running the company and being on juries at funders and stuff to see kind of what what is fundable? It's quite quite remarkable. Like people can build Canadians can build projects in other countries that never are never intended to be seen by Canadians and that's that's fundable. That's okay. So and you know, I mean yeah. the involvement of those projects in the future so I shouldn't be yeah. critical, but I was kinda shocked. <laughs> you know, it's so hard to know what because I I don't know. There's there there's the whole like idea of what is fundable, which gets to the root of like, are we catering our creative processes? to the granting organization so that we can get funded. Yeah. And is that right? Or should the those organizations cater to the the creator uh and fund the work based on something that's not like whatever their criteria is. I don't know how that would work, but I I do feel like there's a limitation based on the way that we fund things in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. So uh yeah, just seeing like I just saw Ted Dykstra post that coal mine didn't get any uh operating funding and just you know having seen the amazing work that they do that that is that is that's is baffling that's got to be incredibly frustrating and there's all kinds of little theaters in in, in toronto who are doing amazing work who don't get any kind of funding yeah. really, uh from from the granting organizations even though the work they're doing is vibrant and 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 important and 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 really important on uh to their community and to the community the, yeah, they still don't get uh, uh, the kind of grant that would help them thrive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it feels like on a project level, the, the Canada Council has done a great job of sort of revamping things and making it a lot less racist, but I don't know revamped their, their um, you know, their uh, operating grants to, to, to who the, the, the companies that get those. It's, it's uh, you know, we've been told we're an indigenous-led company. We've had a lot of success across the country, but we've basically been told don't apply for operating funding 
because you'll get significantly less than you get project funding wise because you have to start from the bottom and work your way up for 20 years and that and that seems totally not i mean i believe i I appreciate the advice i think it's accurate but it's also total horseshit that that's the case i yes i would agree that's horseshit because that's sort of like a corporate model you got to start in the start in the mail room and work your way up to become an important theater company and rather than like uh, uh funding the new upstart because you know the the old the the old stalwart is getting plenty of sponsorship funding mm-hmm. from like these big organizations that that maybe some money of that that some granting money that could go to them will be better served going to a smaller company as, and helping them operate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was shocked when I was on juries like saying I thought it would be much worse in the rest of the country and Toronto would be a little bit more. I don't know ahead of the game, but I was like shocked at the at the at the companies that get the money and the ones that don't. And um, I don't think that's, you know, I don't think all people know who, you know, yeah. if you've had a hit 20 years ago, apparently you're still getting six figures from, from the Canada Council, but people who've been putting out hit after hit after hit for the last five, 10 years can't get operating funding. It's a little bit weird. Just in closing, one of the things that I wanted to I wanted to talk about is 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 fundraising. Yeah, for Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, are there resources that 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 are 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 being used in in conjunction with this show? Where we are? Is there is there talk of, of the fundraising? Well, yeah. How, but, how is um, I mentioned it. Yeah. I mentioned it's uh, it's right in the script. Um, and then we've got um, donation box all our shows, and then we've got a QR code, and we've got a links um, on our punctuatetheater.com our website and we're sort of doing a, a duo purpose fundraising where we're raising money for uh, veterans uh, who we've known for a number of years who are who are fighting to defend their country so we're raising kind of humanitarian aid for them and then um, we're also raising money for um, playwrights in Ukraine who are who started uh, a Ukrainian Ukrainian language Ukrainian contemporary theater company right after the invasion because there's virtually none of that before this because you you know probably doesn't take a genius to know that like there's not going to be a lot of russian work produced in uh ukraine in the in the near future and so there's this huge vacuum um, and and need to support these these incredible artists and so we're trying to help our our artist colleagues who are you know literally people masha worked with for years um um and so yeah we're trying to kind of um so great support for on both those fronts. Matthew, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for, for giving me your time this evening and uh, looking forward to seeing the show. Yeah, thanks for the chat. This has been an episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy is produced, hosted, and edited by Phil Rickaby. That's me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Those reviews and ratings help new people find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And remember, if you want to leave a tip, you'll find a link to the virtual tip jar in the show notes or on the website. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the complete archive of all episodes at stageworthy.ca. 
If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy. Worthy.